This episode of the Same 24 Hours podcast is supported by the Kyle Pease Foundation because together we wheel. The Kyle Pease Foundation has been empowering disabled athletes through endurance sports since 2011. I love Brent and Kyle Pease. They are fantastic. If you haven't heard the episode with them, it's episode four, please have a listen. If you want to learn more or to make a donation, please visit kylepeacefoundation.org. Welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day, and it's what we do with those hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success. Today's guest is Leslie Patterson, a professional triathlete, author, and self-proclaimed foul-mouthed Scott's Lassie. She's got an incredible story coupled with relentless passion and drive for life and sport. Enjoy the show. Hi, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Same 24 Hours podcast. I am your host, Meredith Atwood. I have a great guest today. Her name is Leslie Patterson. She is amazing. She's a three-time world champion triathlete, a professional mountain biker, motivational speaker, coach, and a self-proclaimed reluctant fitness model (laughs) and a foul-mouthed Scott's lassie, (laughs) according to her own definition. Welcome, Leslie. Hi, Meredith. How are you? I'm great. I'm so glad to have you on here. You are such a joy. You are so much fun. Oh, good. Yeah, well, not all my athletes say say that to me, especially when they're doing my workouts, but I do my best. (laughs) So when you were growing up in Scotland, you were the only girl on the rugby team. Is that true? That is correct. Yeah. I don't know. I just have always kind of seen a challenge in my life and wanted to jump right into it. So you know, when I was younger, um, I, you know, saw my brother playing rugby and all the dirt and all the mud. And I said, Daddy, 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 I want to have a go at that. And he was like, yeah, but there's no, you know, there's no girls. And I said, I don't care. I'll play with the boys. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I jumped in there and played that for, for five years and did all sorts of crazy stuff at the age of eight and nine and ten where I was... Um, uh, you know, being, uh, you know, out there with all of the boys and, and going on tour all over England. And it was crazy. That's so funny. So when did you stop playing rugby? So when I was 12, I wasn't allowed to, um, you know, play with the boys anymore just because of puberty and stuff like that. So, um, and they didn't have any women's teams and, and, you know, at those times. So my dad quickly got me into what we call fell running in Scotland um, which is where you run over the hills and in the mud and whatnot. And then um, he had been getting into triathlon. He said, well, come and give that a go as well. So I did and, and you know, sort of haven't looked back since. So you started triathlon very early then. You, did you say 12? It, yeah, 13 years old. Okay. 13. Very cool. So what was your favorite part of triathlon back then? You know what? Yeah, you know, at the time it was definitely running just because that was my background. You know, you run a lot in rugby and then I did a lot of running with my dad sort of over the, the hills and moors of Scotland. And so that was the most comfortable thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I really struggled with the biking, um, just kind of with the equipment and my muscles always hurt. I was never comfortable. You know, it's so hard to get a bike that fits you when you're only a wee, you know, pint size nothing. <laughs> um so I was always riding on bikes that were too big. And, and then, of course, the swimming was a tough one for me because, 
you know, I hadn't really been a competitive swimmer. And so um, I think, you know, I was a very nervous racer and with swimming coming first, uh, and being my weakest, so to speak, then it's the nerves plus the weakest discipline meant that that was always a challenge too. Yeah, I bet. I bet. So, um, I just love your accent. I'm just over here grinning. I'm sorry. I was going to take it. Nah. It's adorable. So you said that you were wee and pint-sized. You're still wee and pint-sized, aren't you? I know I haven't changed, but, you know, the funny thing is, is I was probably this size when I was about nine years old. So I was actually, you know, big, big, big relative to the boys. And then I just, you know, nothing else happened after that. That's so funny. So my daughter sounds a lot like you were as a girl. She is eight and she wants to play baseball. And this is like the worst thing that could have possibly happened to her brother who is nine. And he is so mad. And she wants to play, and they would actually be in the same league next year. And so we're like, oh you, man, we're telling him, you, we're like, you better work hard. Your sister's going to catch you, and it's making him so mad. But I, I thought that was funny. I love that, and I love um, my daughter's spirit. And so I can kind of, I, I can see you being little pint sized doing rugby, and it just reminds me of my Stella. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> So you totally and piss, to... pissing my brother off. Yeah. So how wait? How old was your brother at the time when you were playing rugby? Um, he's like three years older than three me, years older, so okay. or two and a half years. Yeah, and he, you know, I think he, he actually kind of struggled with that for sure. And then, you know, I was a, a sort of very confident out there, giving it everything I've got, and and you know, he was just a different kind of kid, right? You know, yeah. I've always been very very driven, and he was, uh, you know, one of you know, there's four of us. I have two sisters and my brother so you know three girls and him so I it was tough for him and I think our relationship actually was was not that great when we were younger it's brilliant now he's a a great guy and we get on like a house on fire but you know growing up I think it was definitely a challenge here was this little young young thing that just was kind of essentially I, I mean I hate to say good at everything but just kind of gave it everything I got you know and and uh, was doing pretty well, and and he was sort of you know challenged with that. I think. Yeah, I can imagine. I, I have that going on in my house, so I totally understand. Um, so, what were some of your earliest memories? You said you were very competitive and and very driven. Did I mean were you just shot out of a cannon as a kid that way, or was there any sort of relationships or your parents that that kind of brought out that grit and determination? You know, I've always had it. Um, I remember literally being four years old and watching the Olympics on the television and just dreaming and wishing that I could be there. You know, and and you don't, it's not like a a formed thought, so to speak. It's just a feeling. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember going out with my best friend, who's a wee boy that lives opposite me, uh, sort of in in, in our neighborhood. And we had this grass field and I used to run around this grass field and I would run in bare feet because there was a very famous runner at the time called Zola Bud uh, in the 80s. And uh, she was a South African woman who ran in bare feet. And it was kind of this revolutionary thing. Right. And so so I would pretend I was Zola Bud and he would pretend he was Eve Cram, who was a very famous British <laughs> runner at the, at the time. And, you know, we would race each other, you know, at four years old. So wow. I think I think you know that kind of that kind of drive and determination you're born with, you know. Yeah. Um, so that was that was definitely me. So do you think that kind of drive and determination can be learned? I mean, if you're not born with it, can um, you learn I th- it? I th- I think you can, but I do think that you'll find most top athletes have this innate. You know, my husband calls it the fire in the belly. 
um, uh-huh. that just you know determined um, you know you're not willing to compromise you just keep going and I don't even know where it comes from it's just it's just there and mm-hmm. you know even again even when I was a wee girl I used to stay in at lunch hour just to get ahead in my homework so I could be ahead of everyone else <laughs> You know, I mean that. I mean, you don't. I mean, how do you know that at, yeah. at six and seven years old? You don't. It's just sort of, you know, who you are. Yeah. No, I was very competitive. Not. I mean, and I am competitive in triathlon as far as mentally, but just not realistically. But I've always been a really competitive kid as well. I mean, I in kindergarten I would race to finish to be one of the first ones finished, along with my friend George. And I remember one day I finished, George finished, and we looked at each other and we ran up to the desk to turn it in. And I fell and busted my face on the desk. (laughs) Brilliant. my tooth go through my lip and I'm like, this is ridiculous. But yeah, I kind of know what you mean. I I think um, that that sort of drive does exist and you can see it in kids on the playground and stuff so so how did you harness that amazing energy to become the top level triathlete that you are yeah you know it wasn't easy because I think I had all of this natural drive and I didn't necessarily have a direction to put it in initially because although I was in you know triathlon and and I was competitive it was it I was very much the underdog. I mean, coming from Scotland as well, you don't have the facilities, you don't have the environment. Um, it's not a, a, a it, you know, it's a very hostile environment in terms of getting out there to train. And you know, at school, I was I was bullied for you know for doing it. I mean, being sporty was not a cool thing at all, mm-hmm. uh, especially as a girl. You know, you, you should be out there putting the makeup on, putting the heels on, getting out and doing your shopping and I was running over the hills in the mud with people 20 years older than me. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I would say that, that that all of those obstacles made me stronger, but initially it was a, a very tough thing because you just feel like you're you're fighting an uphill battle all the time, all the time, all the time. And then I got on the national squad um, in the UK, uh, you know, at the age of 14. And so was competing, you know, was that all running over the or world. No, that was triathlon. triathlon that was okay. triathlon. And they had, you know, lottery funding and all sorts of national support. But, you know, everything had just turned into draft legal racing when I got into it at that point. So you had to be a very good swimmer. And, you know, I was a very good cyclist runner and not such a good swimmer. So pretty much from the get-go, I was told I wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, again, I was fighting this uphill battle, right? You know, this underdog mentality. And while I was able to sort of perform and come through a lot of that, that was kind of deep, deeply rooted in my soul. And so, you know, after a number of years uh, trying to make it work, I just couldn't get my swimming quick enough to be competitive. And so, um, as a consequence, I just lost a lot of confidence. The coaches around me at the time, you know, were very much science-based and, and not good at dealing with emotions. And so I ended up retiring from the sport at the age of 20, mm-hmm. um, just totally disillusioned and, you know, never wanted to do another triathlon as long as I lived. Moved out to California with my husband and got into acting and theatre and, 
you know, moved up to Los Angeles, did the graduate studies in, 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 in acting and theatre and just went in this whole different direction to try and rediscover all of that passion again that had been lost because I'd been battered down for so long. Mm-hmm. So uh, acting in theater, that's fascinating. I had another guest on the, on a po- on the podcast who um, was a swimmer, a competitive swimmer, and she went out to Los Angeles to be an actor and a stunt driver. So something about the sport makes people go to Los Angeles. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, I think it's that performance aspect, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we like to be out there. We like to perform. And I think that the dedication and the commitment that, that, you know, doing triathlon or doing any kind of sport to any level gives you, you can apply to anything else. So I think, you know, you, you, you shoot for the stars when you've been used to having these big lofty goals of whether it's, a world title or Olympics or whatever it might be, then, you know, when you kind of have another desire or passion in your life, you say, well, listen, if I'm going to go after it, I'm going to go after it whole hog and, and shoot for the stars. So what was some of your best memories of, of the acting? Like how, how long did you act? What did you do? And, and oh. just tell me some stories about that. That's always so exciting. Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it was, you know, um, it was pretty brutal. Um, going up to audition in Los Angeles is a really tough thing because when you're starting out, you know, I mean, it's just massive castle calls where you're, you know, I mean, I would drive up from San Diego, you know, two and a half, three hours just to get there and then your audition would last 30 seconds. Oh, wow. Um, and then you would be out there, yeah. So, and you would just walk in and I would have to pretend to be American straight off the bat because if they heard my Scottish accent, and then I went to an American accent for the edition. They would just be listening to my ability to do the accent. So um, that was really, really tough. Um, and initially, I did a lot of things like student films and independent films. I was uh, the lead in a, a, a music video of David Gray, actually. Um, oh, I love and, David and, Gray. Yeah, yeah. So Alibi. Oh, so cool. if you look, uh, there's there's a couple links. Yeah, there's a couple links with me being the lead in that. So it was all about being out of the comfort zone. You know, you had to assume all these different character roles. I did a I did a couple of horror films. I did one where we shot out in the desert for like three weeks straight, and we camped in tents. You know, because it was mega low budget. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was eaten in half by a chupacabra. <laughs> by a what? So you know you know by like an animal like a chupacabra like you know those yeah like those like you know animals that are in horror films oh my god so it was so crazy there was this one scene where i was hanging out like hanging off the side of a a minivan like a mini mini bus Uh and and half my body's eaten eaten. (laughs) and i'm i'm like yelling and screaming and you know sort of gurgling and and, and oh so you have gosh. to like pretend that you're being eaten I mean how do you do that you know <laughs> um so anyways I've done crazy crazy ass shit like that but needless that to say so I just funny. wasn't very good at it I don't think so I love that in the I end yeah oh my gosh uh, so how was it with I mean you are obviously extremely fit and ripped and just beautiful how how is LA as far as confidence and having to I mean you obviously were not one of, I feel like every time I've been to California that they should just ship me back to Georgia <laughs> that this just like full right. of the beautiful thin fit people um did you feel like a right 
a lot more pressure. I mean, especially during this time. I think you still live out in California, don't you? Yeah, I live in San Diego. Yeah, so it, and love San Diego. But was you know, it worse in LA? Yeah, it definitely is. But interestingly enough, I think, you know, again, being an athlete and feeling like you have something different to offer, being Scottish gives you something different to offer. But I think as you as you get older, at least maturity has told me that it's not it's not it's not about all that. That gets very old, the whole mm-hmm. perfectness or, or the way that you look. And in fact, you know, when you look at really successful actors now, there's something unique and different about them. There's a presence about them that is not, you know, this perfection and really, you know, and what is perfection, right? So I think you actually look at all of these people that seemingly, quote unquote, look beautiful and whatnot, and you think, well, yeah, I, I, I don't get intimidated by it anymore. I'd say yeah. I probably used to, but I don't now um, because you realize that it's the quirks and it's the oddities in people that actually get them the roles. Right. Um, and, and, and it's it's kind of been the same in triathlon, I think, focusing on your own journey and what it is you have to offer and the way that you do things um, is is the strength. Uh, instead of trying to mold into what other people do or what other people say or how to look like other people or talk like other people. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, again, I think all of that acting just gave me the confidence to, to know that my inner voice is, what I have and if you don't like it and you don't want it that's fine but this is my journey and this is what I'm going to put forth very cool so how old are you I'm 36 okay so we're about the same age you're a little further along and I don't give a crap what people think than I am I think but I'm getting closer (laughs) (laughs) I feel like by the time I'm I'm not going to give a shit Well, you know, I think it, you know, it's ever, it's a cycle, right? And, and, and I think that it, it's up and down and up and down with, with all of that. And I think that it's ever changing and mm-hmm. you, you feel, just when you feel like you've got a handle on it, it shifts, it moves, you don't, you fall apart, then you get back on the wagon, you build up, you know, it's, it's never ending. Yeah. So you found your love um, in cycling on mountain bikes. Right. Right. I mean, because yeah. you said you didn't, you didn't really like cycling at first that that was like your weaker sport because you made the transition to Xterra at some point I mean you got off the road and you stopped the draft legal yep exactly and well for me Xterra was about being out in the trails and the environment and the nature and all of that stuff I just absolutely loved and Mm -hmm. so you know that's why I kind of got into mountain biking because Essentially, mountain biking is like dancing over the terrain. You know, you have to have a really acute sense of, you know, your coordination, your skill levels. And at the same time, it's generally a lot of, you know, hills and climbing and all of the stuff that that um, helps my strengths rather than focuses on my weakness. You know, when you're small like me, my power to weight is very good, but my flat power is is a challenge and mm-hmm. so you know a lot of these itu courses are just short sharp big powerful you know courses and and that's not you know that's not really me i give, give me a big old climb and i'm i'm golden i've got a big smile on my face but <laughs> uh, give me a big straight away and i'm i'm kind of screwed right right so when did you leave um acting to get i guess when did you find your love for triathlon again because you said you were done with it you moved to la um what brought you back yeah, you know, I started doing a local, a bunch of local running races called the Dirt, Dirt Dog Series in California. And 
just it was all about the social community it was all about just kind of rock up do the race have some fun not worry about it so I kind of stepped back into it in, 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 in that in that sort of frame of mind which again took away a lot of the pressure and focused on all the reasons why I loved it um, and that was kind of in 2006 2007 and then I did my first Xterra I think 2007 2008 um, and just fell in love with it, you know, and, and quickly sort of did pretty well. So I was quite fit. And then I was like, oh, man, I really want to give this a go. And, and bit by bit, just got more and more serious. And uh, I committed to it full time again in sort of 2008, 2009. And then you took home the championship, the world championship, three years in a row. <clears throat> Yeah, so it was well. It's two. So I've got two world championships in Xterra, two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve, uh-huh. and then I won the ITU World Cross Championships in two thousand and twelve. Oh, very so awesome. that was kind of all, all yeah, all across those years. So they were definitely, obviously, massive, massive highlights. That's awesome. So what are you up to now? What's Leslie Patterson doing now? <laughs> yeah, good question. I don't know. Um, a whole a whole load of everything and a whole load of nothing all at the same time, right? I know that um, feeling. I know that feeling very well. <laughs> God, it's just like, you know, when you're an endurance athlete, you have to diversify so much when it comes to sort of sources of income. Um, <laughs> you know, and then I have also all of this drive and all of these passions in different areas of my life. You're just like kind of pulled in lots of different directions. So um, you know, at the moment we have a, a book that's just come out, my husband, so my husband's a sports psychologist, and uh, we've written a book together called The Brave Athlete, uh, Calm the Fuck Down and Rise to the <laughs> and um, yeah, so that's, that's in fact shipping this week, and that's with Velo Press, so we're doing a, a book tour, so we're going to, you know, Colorado, Boston, New York, um, Chicago, so we're doing a bunch of different things for that. Um, which is which is going to be really really fun. I'll throw in a few races just to kind of keep in at that and keep those passions going. Um, and then I'm also um, you know just continuing on the film aspect. I do uh, screenplay writing and uh, producing on that side, so I'm still kind of fostering all of that stuff too. Oh, that's very awesome. Um, I definitely want to get back to the book, but you mentioned screenplay writing. So I want to talk about that for a minute. <laughs> um, so yeah, 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 tell me about that. That's so cool. I've always wanted to to do something like that. And I get to act one, scene one, Fred walks into the room and then I go, I can't do this. <laughs> right. You know, it's, it's, it's a total challenge, you know, and, and it's not something that, that, that comes easy particularly, but Given my background in acting, which is all about character development and, and story constructs and sort of the analysis of what makes the screenplay work, um, for me to get into it was slightly easier because I knew the pieces, like how the pieces had to come together to make a screenplay work. So I met a writing partner and uh, we kind of formed our own production company and we, uh, uh, you know, written some screenplays together. And so having a partner like that to really bounce ideas off and working each other's, you know, negatives, uh, sorry, positives, um, has been really effective. But about 10 years ago, we got the, the rights to a famous novel, a World War One novel called All Quiet on the Western Front. Oh, wow. And um, we had, yeah, we adapted that novel into a new screenplay and have kind of gone on this crazy journey to try and get it off the ground for about 10 years now. And, you know, every year we kind of get a step closer and then a step further away. It's a really bizarre business. So, mm-hmm. um 
Yeah, but it's, it's a great, great process. We're writing on new screenplays all the time, and um, I've got a lot of friends now in the industry, and they mentor me. And In fact, last year we got to train the lead actress for uh, the new Blade Runner movie that comes out this year with Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford. And um, Yeah, so we got to train her to get ready for her role, my husband and I, which was wonderful because we got to meld the kind of... The, the, the coaching, the mental aspect, and the acting all together by training this this wonderful actress. So it was really, really a, a great opportunity. So it's nice when all of the the pieces in your life come together. Yeah, that's fascinating. So this is screen screenwriting and and book writing is definitely an exercise in patience. I mean, the wherewithal to right. start a project and to keep at something that's moving at the speed of turtle. I mean, wow. Right. <laughs> So, I mean, you said 10 years. Did you say 10 years? Yep. Yeah. Totally. 10 years, man. It's been crazy. How do you keep but, you know, I think. I mean, how do you stay motivated? Yeah. You know, I think it's one of those things where you, you appreciate that it's not about the end results, right? I mean, obviously, we want our movie made and we want to see it on the big screen, all those kinds of things. You have those end goals, but, you know, so much of that is a journey. The people that you're meeting through it, Uh, the contacts that you're developing, what you're learning in terms of what works, what doesn't, um, all of those kinds of things are the purpose of it. So, um, and and I think that's what most people don't appreciate, you know, whether it's in sports and business and relationships, you know, we're all sort of focused on that end result of, well, I want to get a PR or I want to get this time for the Ironman or I want to win a title or da-da-da-da-da. And 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 I think what going through all of that in sport and, and winning those world titles made me realize is it's never enough. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. when you do reach that goal, it's like it's never enough because you're always striving for the next thing. So if you don't, you know, live in the moment of your journey, then it just passes you by, and and you don't, you know, you, you know, you don't get to enjoy the experience. So I've really learned a lot. Um, in that regard, and and I apply that to film on a daily basis. You know, what am I learning? What am I, you know, why am I doing this? That it's got to, I've got to be passionate about the process of doing it, yeah. rather than the outcome of doing it. Otherwise, I'm never going to have success because there's always going to be someone better. There's always going to be something that falls apart or doesn't work. So how do I find the success in the day to day moments of what I'm doing? Yeah, and that's so true. I think that's why so many triathletes, once they once they get to the Ironman level, they just extreme just suffer from extreme burnout because you do your first totally. Ironman, then you do your second, you do your third, and and it never mm-hmm. is enough. You're you're still chasing this no. arbitrary. I need more, and if you fail to enjoy the process along the way, it's just then you're kind of just stuck with a handful of Ironmans and tired. <laughs> totally, totally, and then everyone in else in your life kind of hating you for it because you're never happy you're always tired you're always pissed off and um you know and you're not really reaping the benefits of why we do this in the first place right so let's circle back to to the book the brave athlete calm the f down and rise to the occasion um so what is the premise of this book i mean besides how does bravery tie tie into this Yep. So basically, we've we've asked the question, do you ever have thoughts or feelings that you don't want? And if you do, then this is why. And then here are some solutions to deal with that. 
And so what we've done is taken kind of our experiences, both me in the sport, Simon in the sport, and then all the athletes that we've kind of coached and worked with across the last kind of eight, 10 years. And, you know, we've come across the most common um, uh, questions that have arisen time and time again. And we wanted to answer those questions. And so what we did was, you know, Simon obviously has a a PhD in, in, in psychology. And so, um, we got into the neuroscience of how does the brain actually work? Because what we realized is once we educated our athletes on, okay, this is your brain. This is why it's wired to make you feel and think the way that you do. And this is the fight that's going on. And as a consequence, this is how we deal with it. Um, so, you know, there's 12 of the most common, you know, issues that have arisen uh, uh, throughout our athletes and myself and we've essentially answered those. So we've gotten into the neuroscience of, of why they occur and then we've done case studies with some of our athletes mm-hmm. and then we've come up with, you know, some good homework and solutions about, hey, okay, so this is going on. How do we deal with it? Um, yeah, so that's kind of it in a, in a nutshell, but I think it's pretty unique in, in the sense that it's written in a very irreverent style. So it's witty, it's funny, it's, um, you know, got a lot of humility to it. And I think a lot of the texts out there can be deathly boring. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the end of the day, we can't take ourselves too seriously. You know, we're talking about triathlon here. Um, <laughs> we're talking about running. We're talking about, you know, all these things that we're supposed to love and enjoy. And, and why is it that we, we, we can't? So, um, yeah, we're, we're really hoping that it's going to, you know, touch a lot of people and help a lot of people. Absolutely. I saw one of the things on the list that you guys, well, actually a couple of things on the list, um, having the thoughts that we don't want to have. I don't think I can. Um, I feel fat. I need to harden up. I keep screwing up. I don't handle handle pressure well. I mean, this is, these are all very real kind of thoughts that happen when we let the negative thoughts take over and in our performance. So I, I am super excited about this book. And so tell us where, where can people get it? Yeah. So you can get it on the Velo Press website. You can get it on our website, braveheartcoach.com. You can um, get it on Amazon. There's a, a whole boatload of places you can get it. So if you just sort of uh, get on there and search on the brave athlete, uh, you know, it'll pop up. Uh, in all sorts of ways so yeah it's really and then it'll be on we're doing a um uh audio book for it that that will probably be out in kind of june or july Uh, and then there's going to be a kindle version out in june i think so yeah you can pretty much pretty much get it anywhere thank goodness (laughs) (laughs) so what do you have coming up as far as are you racing this season yeah you know this season i mean as you probably know i've had so many ups and downs with lines injuries and whatnot that I have to generally when it comes to races kind of take it almost on a week-to-week basis so I've started to sort of feel pretty good again or or had a few good training um, training days out there so I decided to do I did a local race last weekend and extra event up in Los Angeles and then I'm heading out to the Southeast Championships in Alabama on Wednesday and that that takes place next weekend so that'll be really fun um and then after that point, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. I tend to do it bit by bit, as I say, just given mm-hmm. not never quite sure on how I'm going to feel. Yeah. So what is the main injury that's plaguing you? Yeah, so I've had a lot of, um, it's, it's more like, it's very much linked to my Lyme disease. So 
Um, it's, it's pelvic pain. It's kind of pudundal, uh, uh, pudundal nerve issues, deep butt pain, mm-hmm. high hamstring, lower back. It's this whole inflammatory kind of bacterial issue that's going on that creates all of these problems. Um, you know, and, and interestingly enough, I'm, I'm recognizing that a lot of athletes have this issue because. You know, the trouble with our sports is we're also driven. Uh, there's so much social comparison all the time. We always want to do more and more and more, achieve more and more and more. And as a consequence, the stress, the adrenals take, you know, take a hit. All of these things are impacting our ability to recover. And so, you know, it's all having a having an effect on systemic chronic injuries like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned Lyme disease. Um, when When did you... Get, I guess, con- contract. Is that the right word? <laughs> contract Lyme disease. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was diagnosed with it in 2011 after I was getting some really crazy weird symptoms. And, um, you know, it was diagnosed as a chronic version of it. Um, and thus, you know, we don't exactly know when I picked mm-hmm. it up. Because a lot of people might even have it latent in their system and something triggers it. Um, but, you know, growing up in Scotland, always being on the East Coast racing, who knows? I mean, I've been bitten a million times, so it could right. be anywhere, unfortunately. Right. So Tim Ferriss is one of my favorite podcasters and, and bloggers, and I know he, he deals with Lyme disease. Have you found anything that's been extremely helpful with your symptoms? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, Tim's a, Tim's, Tim's a great guy, and I think his focus on, um, you know, dealing with uh, the guts, is mm-hmm. is really really critical because that you know that a good seventy percent of your immune system is housed in your gut, mm-hmm. and so many issues we have are from the gut. Um, that focusing on that through diet and actually, I had a, a great treatment earlier this year called FMT, which is called fecal microbial transplant, uh-huh. um, and that's essentially when you get someone else's poo and you put it inside <laughs> you. Um, yeah, I know. I've, I've done crazy shit, literally. <laughs> literally. Um, like how yeah, much literally. of poo? So, how much poo? Oh, a bunch. Yeah, no. a bunch. Like a massive syringe. Yeah, totally, man. You you get this poo put inside you, and you have to hold it on, hold on to it for as long as possible, and then you know, <laughs> on and on. Yeah. So, do so you I get went to, to pick your poo? Went, Wait a minute. This is uh, mind blowing. Do no, you get to pick uh, your person like a sperm donor? Yeah. Do you get to say I want his poo? Yeah. Well. <laughs> Not exactly. So I went to a clinic in the UK called the T-Mount Clinic, which is, is pretty famous now. Um, you can't actually do this uh, in, the, in the US yet because of the regulations. Um, you can only do it for C. diff uh, as a condition, but uh, other stuff you cannot. So, yeah, I went to the UK. They have their whole donor bank that is vetted and, you know, the, the, the poo goes through a special process. Yeah, oh, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I tell you, it's, well, it's a new frontier in, in, in medicine, to be honest. So once you start Googling about all this stuff, you'll see all the new studies that are out and, uh, uh, you know, papers that have been written about it and what they're, they're discovering about the role of the gut in the system and, you know, how to use FMT to help some of that stuff. That is amazing. Did you feel better afterwards? Yeah, totally. You did. I know it's crazy. Yeah, That's yeah, so and it cool. takes a long time. It takes a process. You know, I'm three months out now, and um, you know the system is because it takes time to regulate. Because mm-hmm. when you think of all of the special bacteria in your gut that impacts, you know, your endocrine system, your immune response, your inflammatory response, all of these things, 
you know, it's taken years and years for it to, to, to be wiped out through antibiotics, bad diet, stress, the whole bit. So it's going to take more than just a, a bit of poo to, to <laughs> get your body up and working again. I probably need a lot of poo. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, most so, people do, unfortunately. <laughs> so you have a video or a, is it a, wait, tell me about the six, the six minute six pack. Is it a website or a video? It is, yeah. So if you, no, it's 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 a website that that that, that hosts um, a bunch of video content. It's like a workout uh, video series for core. You know, it's a core routine for endurance athletes, six minutes a day, and it's uh, called the Six Min Six Pack dot com. So the letter Six Min Six Pack dot com. And if you go on there and you sign up for that, then it's live live streaming and daily sessions of different levels. And my husband's in it. It's a it's a right old laugh. So. You know, basically what we were discovering is that, you know, when it comes to simple things, whether it's diet, whether it's, you know, a core routine, whether it's a stretching routine, people are very, you know, very lazy about fitting those things in. And so we were like, okay, in six minutes, what can you do? Because anybody can fit six minutes into their day. Mm-hmm. So that's when we created this uh, this little routine. And yeah, it's uh, it's been really successful and we're just kind of trying to promote it again because it's something that that is um, always going to be important. You know, it's always it's always uh, yeah, it's always relevant. So, where do you fall on the nutrition scheme of things? Is there any particular way of eating yep. that you follow? Yeah, totally. I mean, with having Lyme disease and all of these gut issues, I've had to have a very clean diet. So, I'm very much along the lines of sort of paleo, in so much as. It's all about trying to have foods that are not going to irritate your gut or have a bad immune response. Um, you know, and the science is really varied out there, so it has to be a very individual thing mm-hmm. in so much as you need to try your, your it's got to be your journey, right? Because right. there's so much information out there. You know, is it a high-fat diet? Is it, you know, ketogenic? Is it this? Is it that? So, you know, uh, with being a sort of uh, uh, an athlete that does more short course and high intensity stuff, of course, I need plenty of carbohydrates. So it's just having good sources of carbohydrates, Mm -hmm. you know, your sweet potatoes, your plantains, all of those kinds of things, rather than heavily on grains or, you know, a lot of gluten. I can't I can't really have any of that. I get a very, very bad response to all of that stuff. Um, So, yeah, and I think it's just about not having you know, a lot of sugar, not having a lot of processed foods and keeping things just good proteins, good carbohydrates, plenty of fruits and veg and lots of variety. Yeah. And that and that is what I would I would say. But it you know, it's so challenging now with the nutritional piece because there's so much information out there. Right. Um, and there's, you know, so many fads and all that. And then you've got the whole body image issue which we, we get into in our book actually. Um there's so much social comparison, you know, you've got to have your six pack, you've got to look like this. There's all these skinny athletes out there and you're just like, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. And so people kind of fall into this trap of getting really obsessed with certain things and, you know, and, and, and not really taking care of their body. Right. It actually ends up creating more stress and more cortisol and more inflammation rather than sort of kind of that combination between enjoying life and then, you know, having some good solid goals. Right, right. So this podcast is called The Same 24 Hours, and the idea is that we are all given the same 24 hours in each day. And what we do in those 24 mm-hmm. hours is what, you know, sets us up for success and happiness. Um, is there anything that you do 
in your 24 hours on a regular, consistent day-to-day basis that you can put, you can point to and say, hey, that's contributed to my success? Yep. Probably, um, I would say, four four different things. Um, one would be I have an ice bath every day. Oh. And that uh, is about immune stimulation rather than recovery. It's uh, more about sort of the mental dealing with um, dealing with the pain uh, and then the immune stimulation that comes about from from being you know being in a nice bath. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do breathing techniques, meditation. Um, that's a huge piece to try and uh, de-stress. Um, and then I have uh, an infrared sauna uh, every night before dinner. Um, and, and and all of this is about kind of trying to take care of my body, especially given the conditions that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's at least trying to have 30 minutes to myself, you know, with my husband, uh, chatting, you know, just having conversation, being engaged in life. So I'd, I'd say that there are some really key things, I think, that, that lead to my success. That's awesome. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for joining me. And you guys check out the new book that is out, The Brave Athlete and um, Six Minute Six Pack. I'm going to check that out. I'm very excited. I bet, I bet it really hurts because it, you know, the difference is when you have a 30 minute workout, you have more time, but those six minute ones, those are tough. <laughs> It's pretty intense. Yeah. yeah. You can get on there and laugh at my inability of my husband to do the exercises. So that will really keep you <laughs> I will amused. never laugh. I will never laugh. Well, thank you so much. And <laughs> Good one. Well, great. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say great chatting to you. Thank you so much. Oh, I really appreciate absolutely. you having me on. Absolutely. We'll look forward to talking to you soon. Great. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Bye.